Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick. And after two weeks, 15 days, uh, the Green Bay Packers had a chance to prepare for an average yet familiar opponent, and they made a big-time statement on national television, that being that this team really is just Aaron Rodgers and his backup singers. The Green Bay Packers lost... 30-17 to 17 to the Detroit Lions at home, and that is a misleading final score. It was never really that close. They were completely dominated almost from the outset. And Chris, I had my hopes high going into this game that McCarthy was the coach I thought he was, that the talent evaluation of the quarterback position and the famed quarterback school was what we thought it was. And after, as I said, 15 days playing against a team that has looked pretty bad for a month, you have them in your building, and to just get obliterated, I think, speaks volumes about where this team and where this organization is at without Aaron Rodgers. Well, listen, I'm, I'm as let down as you are. Um, you'll remember in our, one of our first shows, I picked the Packers to go to the Super Bowl because they had made these moves, and I really believed that this was a uh, this was a good football team and that they really had good scheme and good coaching. You can't ask for anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks to prepare, a, an opponent you've, you've played dozens of times before in your uh, in your space, and and you're right, it was not that close. Uh, the 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 only thing that was uh, really pretty good was punting. I think <laughs> the punting was really quite good. Uh, you know, blocked ex- uh, blocked field goals yeah. and blown assignments, and and the the defense getting read like a like a like a like a book. Um, the offense checking down with wide open receivers down the field. Yep. Wow. Um, you know, I, I will. I have to. I have to bow to you here, Eric, because at the beginning you said, you know, I think the Packers aren't are, are a good team, but I think Aaron Rodgers covers up an awful lot of warts. And I was no, no, no. I you know I have all this faith in McCarthy and and uh, and the other players, and I, I hate to say it, you're right. You're just plain right. Well, yeah. When any time that your highlight of a game is willfully giving the ball to the other team very effectively, you know, you got a bit of a problem. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but. I think we all dreamed that Brett Hundley would get something going. They'd beat the Lions. They have a winnable game against the Bears. Then they got the Ravens coming to town. They're four and four. That still seems impossible. That they're still five hundred. Right, right. It seems like forever since they've won a game. Twenty seventeen's over. The season's finished. There's not going to be a ninth straight playoffs. And I'm frustrated, but I also am a, as a fan. We said this when Rodgers got hurt, but this is what I look forward to all year from an entertainment and hobby right. standpoint, yep. and I feel like it's been stolen from me. Yeah, I really uh, I feel very much the same way, and you know, I, I, I always say hope springs eternal, but um, in order to have hope, you've got to have something that's actually you can grab onto and, and point to. And, and listen, I, I had a tremendous uh, amount of faith in Mike McCarthy and the quarterback school and all those things. And and he said, "Listen, I have invested three years in Brett Hundley, and and my quarterback uh, room is as good as it uh, needs to be. And if that's true, then his ability to evaluate talent is is bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's negligible. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's false. Um, and to develop it as well, right? And so what what it start, you starts to make you think that that Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers was a uh, average quarterback, Mike McCarthy and the system didn't make him great. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback who makes an average or below average team and scheme." And coaching staff look much better than they really are. That's that's a depressing thing, and uh, my hopes for the rest of the season are, um, you know, are down the tubes. Absolutely, and so we'll 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 talk into 
all of this stuff because I I usually ask a question, but here we've talked about players versus scheme this whole season. What is wrong with this team? Is it the players or is it the scheme? The answer is yes. It's, yeah, the answer is yes. It's absolutely both. Uh, the quality of players, the quality of the coaching, the scheme, uh, keeping up with other teams, uh, being being hard to keep track of, being hard to um, understand by other defenses and other offenses. Listen, I got to tell you, uh, you know, I, I have some coaching experience, and I'm really proud of that coaching experience. But I can read. When I watch the game, mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly what they're doing. Now, it's one thing for Tony Romo to be able to do it because he's been a quarterback <laughs> yeah. for 10 years, and he's really great at that. But literally, I can tell you exactly what's coming, both on offense and defense. And if I can tell you that, then then a staff of 15 coaches who all have you know a combined 50 years of NFL experience certainly can, and nothing changes. That's the most frustrating, mm-hmm. th- frustrating thing for me is – nothing changes. And I think part of the reason that nothing changes is the guy who's really pulling the strings is Ted Thompson. And those are all his players out there. And I think they just are waiting for this moment where it all clicks, but it hasn't. This is about the fourth talent cycle where it doesn't click with Dom Capers. So I get it. It's definitely Dom's scheme is not working. On the flip side, I can't imagine his play sheet says, well, here's the part where I rush six and nobody gets home. Here's the part where our $20 million worth of pass rushers can't move third-string tackles off their spots. Here's the the part where every single time Devon House is one-on-one with someone, he loses. Like, I can't imagine that his plays say that. Well, at a very base level, I don't care what your scheme is, you know, your your goal is to set one-on-one matchups for people, and, and then the goal is for them to win those one-on-one matchups, and that's why you get the players, you know, player and scheme. The scheme gets you in the one-on-one matchup. Uh, the player wins that matchup. And, boy, i got to tell you, for, for three or four games now, I'm not sure the opposing quarterback even needed to wash their jersey because, <laughs> because there, were, there weren't, weren't any stains on them. They weren't close. No. And the one, you know, the, the time they did an all-out blitz, um, they motioned, right? And mm-hmm. the Packers showed all-out blitz. He checked to that screen. And I'm telling you, as soon as he threw the screen um, – I, I, I called touchdown. Now, it yeah. wasn't quite a touchdown, but there wasn't, you know, there were three blockers, two Packers, and 70 yards in front of them. It's the perfect call against the fir- perfect play, but it wasn't by accident. Yeah. See, sometimes you just hit it right. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just hit it right. But in this case, you know, the Packers showed blitz. He checked to the play. The Packers stayed in all yep. blitz. And then, surprise, surprise, the, the, the play that you designed to beat that defense beats that defense, and there you go. And for them to do, they had the, what? I think they blitzed six guys like five different times. I never remember Demarius Randall blitzing the quarterback that often. So that's a problem. But the fact that, so that's predictable. By that point in the game, right. Jim Bob Cooter, who they say repeatedly because I think they think it's funny. You know, it's like an eighth grader. <laughs> right, right. I've never heard a coordinator. I mean, Wade Phillips is crushing the world, and he's not as mentioned as awesome during their broadcast. Well, all, you know, all males are 12 years old until they die, so I think <laughs> yeah. that's probably the truth. So I think that's why that's happening. But So he made a good call, and he deserves credit for that. But the fact that Dom felt it necessary to have to blitz Demarius Randall very often when your prized signing this year was Nick Perry, and he's playing against their equivalent of Justin McRae yeah, for the whole, whole game and can't get any push at all. And Clay Matthews... I, I think everybody likes him. He's been great at times in his career, but as an elite player in this league, he looks finished. And we said that before the season, but he doesn't even look serviceable anymore. You put in Kyle Fackrell, you hardly notice the difference. Yeah, and and so I think there are some players that have been in our system a long time. 
Um, so Randall Cobb has been there for a long time. Jordy, Jordy will be good as long as we want him to be good. But but there are some people that we just say, well, we got we got that side covered. You know, we have clay, we've got that side covered. And I think that was true five years ago. Yeah. But we still believe that we have the clay of five years ago, and he's uh, he's a ghost. Yeah. He's um, and you know what's funny if you if you take a look, he doesn't look jacked like he used to. Either. No. His, his body shape, his aggression isn't the same. Um, and and I gotta tell you. <laughs> If our outside linebackers fall for one more naked bootleg, <laughs> like like I'm screaming at my son Ben, screaming with him at the, yeah. at Buffalo Wildings watching, I'm like, just stay home. Like yeah. if you're an outside linebacker and somebody you know has a play fake away from you, stay home because 85 percent of offense is trying to get the defense to leave the place they're supposed to be responsible yeah. for. And I'm telling you, it is every game. Every single time, and I don't care who it is, they chase down the line of scrimmage, that naked bootleg goes out behind them, and they either run or they have an easy throw, and wow, this is basic. This is ninth grade stuff. Yeah, and it's even hard for me to get the enthusiasm to tear into this defense, because this is the sixth season of Green and Gold Forever, and we've basically been saying this from the beginning. They dominate bad opponents, they get torched by good opponents. And then slowly they've been able, they've been unable to really dominate any kind of opponents unless you're really bad off. Right. And the scheme is terrible. The players can't win any one-on-one matchups. You have things like I think Kevin King's going to be a nice player. Absolutely. Josh Jones is going to be fine. Jones is going to be okay. Although he, he, I, I get it. He's a safety. Had he not decided that he had to drill a guy who was completely defenseless, he could have. Stood still, got his first career interception, and returned at about thirty yards. Yeah, and and I get it, but it's it's this thing is what what's left to say about this this uh, this defense? The scheme is old. The players aren't producing. Ted Thompson, uh, like I said, Kevin King's a nice player, but he treated his outside linebackers like they're sure things. And T.J. Watt looks like he's going to be as good of, as his brother in Pittsburgh. Right. I'm I'm out of things to say what's wrong with this defense. It's everything, and it has been for a long time. I think that's right. And we were talking right before the broadcast started. One of the most frustrating things for me is that, you know, there are some really basic concepts about football. So if you ever watch an offense, an offense will very often, almost every play, they'll put a man in motion. And the reason they put a man in motion is very simple. If somebody on the defense goes along with that person in motion, that means we're in man-on-man coverage. If nobody goes with that person, it means we're in zone coverage. And so here the Packers show them what they're going to do, right? So so the, the quarterback puts somebody in motion. The Packers either have some follow them or they don't. So you know exactly what uh, what defense they're running. And then I was listening to the to the players, the defensive players, saying that um, uh, uh, the quarterback for the Lions. Stafford. Um, yeah, yeah, Stafford was checking out virtually every play because he knew what it was. <laughs> And then the Packers don't change the defense. Yeah. So it's it's like literally you show us what you're going to do. You you don't change anything, and we just change to a play that beats you. And that's why you saw people open constantly, mm-hmm. and, and Stafford was throwing on time. Did you notice? Mm-hmm. By the way, we haven't seen that in a while. Three steps yeah. and the ball's yeah. out. Five steps and the ball's out. That's what it's supposed to look like. And so – Wow, uh, I just can't imagine how much easier it would be as an offensive coordinator to play against that defense when you don't have people winning one-on-ones and you know exactly what they're going to do with the most basic of motions. Um, boy, oh boy, that's uh, I, I'm, I'm the same place you are. I'm just at a loss for words. Yeah, and Stafford was 13 of 13 for, I believe, 107 yards and a touchdown against the Blitz. And so that certainly is... Uh, 
one of the things I was seeing is people saying, well, you know, why do you blitz so much? Well, if you do the math, that still means he was 13 of 20 for 254 and a touchdown against standard pressure. Yeah, right. So nothing <laughs> is working. And and whatever happened to the zone blitz, right? Like yeah. so you what Dom invented it. He invented it. And so, you know, you, you bring you bring a cornerback or you bring a safety and then you drop out a linebacker or you or you sh- the linebacker shows blitz yeah. and he drops out. Or or if anybody remembers BJ Rozzi with yeah. that interception against Chicago in the uh, yep. NFC championship game, that was a zone blitz where they blitzed on one side and BJ Raji drops out of the line. You just can't show them what you're going to do mm-hmm. because these players are too good and their offensive coordinators are too good. If they know what's coming, they can carve it up like a Thanksgiving turkey. And I'm, I'm afraid, you know, uh, this is a gobble-gobble season for us. <laughs> yeah, we would be lucky to be relevant by Thanksgiving right. at this point. <laughs> well, the defense, um, ESPN Milwaukee on their post-game show had a, a great description of this game that the defense was so awful that it saved Brett Hunley because he was awful too, but the defense was awful-er. Wow. And a lot of the people that have been defending Brett Hundley have said, well, maybe McCarthy has got the handcuffs on him and some of these things. The one that annoyed me to no end was I've heard, I think, three different times yesterday, I heard people say that, well, Aaron Rodgers was 6-10 his first year. Well, Aaron Rodgers, outside of two weeks was in the top 10 in passer rating every single week of the 2008 season. And you know how entrenched Dom Capers has been as the defensive coordinator. Yep. They deemed that that 6-10 and 10 season was so not on Aaron Rodgers that they fired defensive coordinator Bob Sanders and brought Dom in the first place. Aaron Rodgers ha- should have had about five come-from-behind wins that all got given away by bad defense. By bad defense, right. He was a Pro Bowl caliber talent. But we're not expecting Brett Hundley to be Aaron Rodgers. Nobody is. But you can't get six points in six quarters against two teams at home. I'm not asking you to be Aaron Rodgers. Can you be Josh McCown? Right. right. So, so here's uh, I read something really interesting today. Uh, they put up all of the, the things that, that Hunley's doing wrong now. So checking down, leaving the pocket early. Um, his eyes don't stay downfield when he runs. And then they showed his draft analysis and everything in his draft analysis that was wrong with him yeah. that said he should be a fourth or fifth round draft is exactly what's going on. If you read the draft analysis of Brett Hundley, it talks about the fact that he, he leaves the pocket too quickly. He's a good athlete. He's not accurate. He checks down way too often. He doesn't look downfield. Any of that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it so seems like every play since we, he started the quarterback role for the Packers. Pretty good quarterback school then. If nothing has if improved. nothing has changed. So I, I would encourage our, our, uh, our listeners to go take a look at that. You will be stunned because the quarterback school and three years. Yeah. I mean, guys, three years. And if you stay in Green Bay, what are you doing for, wait for it, a thousand days. Think about <laughs> yeah, that for a second. Yeah. Three years is a thousand days Jeez. in the quarterback school and, you, and your exact same quarterback that you were when you came in. Something's something's uh, rotten in Denmark here, and Denmark is close to Green Bay. Up at you know, up in Pretty the city of Denmark is close to Green. Oh, Bay. So I, I, I was thinking of <laughs> Denmark in Europe. Well, that's the, it was a pun. Gotcha. You know. No, I, I I get you now. So, I did a analysis that I posted both on Twitter and on the Facebook page of. Brett Hundley after three games. So the other first people were saying, well, Aaron Rodgers was 6-10. and 10. Obviously, that's a silly thing to say. Mm-hmm. But also, well, it's only been three games. 
Well, I looked at Matt Flynn in his three games. About the same experience level as Hundley. Had been in the system for about the same amount of time. Now, he was drafted in 08. Didn't get significant playing time until 2010. And then Scott Tolzien was a, a essentially a third-year player when he played in 2013. So in their three games was significant playing time for the Packers. So I'm omitting any time you're coming in taking knees or just uh-huh. chucking it a couple times. So you can look at it on the Facebook page. It's easier than me describing it. Matt Flynn played phenomenally. And granted, he had that nutso game in Detroit that right. was out of a storybook, but he still played incredibly well at the Patriots, if people remember. Should have won that game. Yeah. Should have won that game. Scott Tolzien was rough, but with six fewer pass attempts than Brett Hundley, has over 200 more yards in his three games. His yards per pass attempt, uh, net yards per pass attempt, so that's... Um, Number of pass attempts plus sacks. Every time he goes back to pass, he averages three yards more production than Brett Hundley has. And so this tells me a couple of things. People are saying McCarthy is handcuffing Brett Hundley. So either Mike McCarthy trusted Scott Tolzien, who had been here a month, more than he trusts Brett Hundley after three years of the quarterback school, or within that conservative um, framework that McCarthy's giving to all of his quarterbacks who aren't Aaron Rodgers, Scott Tolzien found opportunities to throw the ball down the field, and Brett Hundley's electing not to do those. It's probably both, but this thing that it's not Hundley's fault because McCarthy's handcuffing him, it's not true because he would have done it even more so with Scott Tolzien, and he found the ball to, he found ways to throw the ball downfield and did it effectively. His problem was turnovers, but he had no problem pushing the ball down the field. Listen, your, your analysis is absolutely dead on. And and uh, you know it it is there, there is no offense that says when Jordy Nelson out of the slot is behind oh. his guy by ten yards that you check it down. <laughs> no. there, there, I don't. There, there are no handcuffs like that no. in the NFL whatsoever. And time after time, I mean, and, but again, think think of that college analysis coming in the draft analysis checks down far too often. I saw the graphic and like. 84, 85% of his passes were less than five yards from the line of scrimmage. It's just, it's madness. Even the incompletions. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, I don't care who you are. You draw plays to, to get people open and you're supposed to be looking most, most, uh, the saying is touchdown to check down, right? Yep. So, so, so if you've got uh, if you've got a nine route, if you've got a fly route going, you've got a post route going, you've got a whip, and then you've got a flare out of the backfield. You look, you know, you look first at the at the mm-hmm. nine route, then you look at the post, and that that's when they talk about going through your progressions. Yeah, but you start touchdown, and your end result is check down. But it almost seems like in Huntley's case, he's like, "Well, I completed the pass, so it's, nobody can blame me, right? Yeah, I got, yeah. I got the pass out, and um, and none of the plays are designed. I mean, his people are getting hit within a yard. Yeah. So, so the checkdown. I want to let you know the checkdown is a. They call it a safety valve for yeah. a reason. It's designed not to be, a, a, not even close to a primary choice. It's you know, if you're about to take a sack, throw it here, and yeah. we'll gain three yards. And Hunley's using it like the you know the basis for the whole game plan. Yeah, uh, screen passes are hail marys right now for the way they're playing. <laughs> right, right, and I I know he's young, but I I would like to see some flash. And on the flip side, though, like we said, the schemes to blame. So are the players. So Hunley seemed to get more comfortable in the second half. My fear with McCarthy is that they're going to look at that last drive when Detroit was literally had one foot on the plane right, right. and they scored a touchdown, that that's some indication that it's clicked for him. But in the, in the uh, competitive part of the game, 
So he took a couple of shots. One to Devontae Adams. Sticks one hand out. Oh, my god! Doesn't lay out for it. If I'm the Packers, well, I'm shaving off about 10% in a year off the extension I was just going to give you because you're a star now when Aaron Rodgers is on the field. They need a play. And Jordy Nelson, love him. Packers Hall of Famer for sure. He's a legend. He had two plays in that third quarter where it looked more like he was playing to get a penalty than he was to get the ball. You're right. He, he was. He, that's not our Jordy, right? No. Jordy is not looking at the ref no. every single time. If you get a hand on that ball, you get the flag. Absolutely. You can't flail about waiting for the flag. Go get the ball. That's what average or, or below average receivers do, and, and so it's whether it's they they they, they uh, have lost faith or mm-hmm. there's just not leadership there. Um, but if we can see it, you got to know the players can see it. And um, and it, you know, I, I, the news just came out not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, about uh, right before we started recording. Y- yeah, so uh, Martellus Bennett got released. Now remember, Martellus Bennett was the key signing. Like that, like uh, all the all the draft analysis said, well, you don't need a tight end because now you have Martellus Bennett, and you know he's won Super Bowls, and he's this, and and I I waxed poetic about him when yeah. I saw him. Enormous guy, you know, doesn't run that well, but an easy target, and uh, he's been super uninspired and and who knows you know if you have to eat seven million dollars in a contract you must there's something going on in the locker room that ain't so good well he's made more headlines than he has catches this year just with his mouth good one that's very good actually somewhere ted thompson's like mike i uh i told you that's that's what happens with free agency (laughs) right so now he'll use this to not sign free agents in the future yeah um Wow, it's a... What a disaster. Like, every single thing that we said could have gone wrong. Now, Brian Bulaga tears his ACL for the third time in six years. Uh, Jason Wilde of uh, the Wisconsin State Journal said on uh, ESPN Milwaukee yesterday that the preferred five starters of the Packers' offensive line, which I said the key to the entire season was they have to be healthy. Right. Now with Brian Bulaga going to IR with a torn ACL, will not play again this year. They clocked a total of 57 snaps together in 2017. Wow. And then you have all your free agents are not contributing. Your rookies look like rookies. The guys we needed to level up are not leveling up. And then, of course, the coup de grace is Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone and needs 13 screws in his throwing shoulder. Yeah, this is about as bad as it gets. Remember, we were talking about those Packers that we just, you don't even worry about them because, you know, we've got, you know, we've got Clay on that side. Well, Balaga's one of them. Yeah. But Balaga's starting to miss a lot of time, and an offensive lineman take a, a heck of a beating. And listen, I think he's a, he's a fantastic player, but at some point, you're just beat up. You're just old and beat up. And I think his his uh, his will do is is way better than his can do right now. Yeah. And so and you know then you took a second rounder with Spriggs and you know Spriggs you IR because he had a hangnail and then you bring <laughs> him back off. But there's no he was terrible in the preseason. Yeah. So listen, every you know the the players aren't playing, the coach's scheme is is old, stale, and easy to figure out, and the future of the franchise, the the, the selecting players has been pretty bad in the last few years. So uh, re- regime change, is that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know, and, and I want to get into that, but something that just occurred to me watching the game as it was wrapping up that I just thought was an interesting point, and that this regime looks on the verge of collapse. McCarthy can't seem, after what happened, two weeks, and you can't put together a game plan that's better than you had with before and it's a familiar team and you still couldn't exploit anything 
the Lions, everyone's talking about them, about how great they are. Well, Matt Stafford, another win at Lambeau. Stafford has beaten the Packers four times in ten years, and two of those wins are against Hunley and Flynn. Yeah, right. So this is a team you've historically dominated with a lot of these players. And some of these head-scratching personnel decisions and seeing Bulaga go down, knowing now that they have an option to get out of Clay's contract. And it occurred to me about our show right after the 2014 NFC Championship game. I speculated, after such a devastating loss, could this destroy the team? And at this point, it took a long time, but I would argue that maybe it has. And you look at all of the things that are happening this year have been happening at times since 2014. And you look at the last time they were elite was five minutes to play at Seattle with a 19-7 to right. lead, yep. and they gave it away. And what was their response to that? Overpay for Randall Cobb, overpay for an injury-prone Brian Bulaga to stay on the team. Why? We were five minutes away from the Super Bowl. What's the logical thing to do? Keep this Keep team exactly the same because they're the best in the NFL and we got a bad break. Meanwhile, while you're doing everything you can to keep the team exactly exactly the same, every other team got better. Sure, you kept your team intact, and now you're better than Seattle. And then Carolina leapfrogs you. Right. And then Arizona leapfrogs you. Now the, Then Atlanta leapfrogs you. Dallas, now it looks like Philadelphia has. You think of what happened while they tried to recapture 2014, other holes open up. They didn't improve their offense. Jordy Nelson goes down and they have the worst offensive performance since Mike Tomzak was the quarterback. You lose six of your last ten, you're eliminated in the playoffs. In 2016, you get your offense back together, but it still doesn't quite have the same mojo as it did in 14. Lacey can't stay healthy. Then what happens is you... Lose six of your first ten, and you need Aaron Rodgers to play like a god to get to the playoffs. Then, because you haven't improved anything, you get to the NFC Championship game, Aaron Rodgers plays like Hercules instead of Zeus, and you get blown out of the gym. Right. Rodgers had to save you. You went 4-1, and one, trailing four of five games at halftime, and still won four of them at the beginning of this year because Aaron Rodgers played so great. Now it fell apart, and what you're left with? You're left with a team that didn't try to get better. It tried to stay the same team that lost a... Fluke game in Seattle while the whole rest of the world got better. And now, what are you left with? It's the end of an era, it feels like. It it, it absolutely feels like it's the end of an era. And not only did they try and say the same. Remember, Father Time is undefeated. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, uh, 2017, Brian Balaga is not the same as 2014. Brian Balaga, clearly a a 2014 clay is much better than a 2007. It's it's math. It, yeah. It's it's life. It's uh, there's no surprises here. But I think your analysis is right on the money, which is we're this close. We almost like we'll show them. Yeah, we'll, we'll show them that that was just a fluke. And and if you don't keep getting younger, and if you don't uh, listen, if you don't get younger and faster in the NFL, you get left behind. Yeah, look at the teams that have. Really leapfrog them. If you don't get bigger, younger, and faster, those yeah. are really the three. Bigger, younger, and faster. Well, who's bigger, younger, and faster on the Packers? Nobody. So Josh Jones is fast. Yeah. Uh, King's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone? Uh, anyone? Bueller? Not anyone? S- certainly <laughs> nobody that's con- contributing right now. And, I mean, I get it. I 
there's so many teams that have been torn apart by nearly getting there and just trying to stay the same and doing it again. But contrast what Ted Thompson did in the particularly the 2015 and 16 off seasons, trying to keep that team together right. that was five minutes away in Seattle, five minutes away from the Super Bowl, and would have played a team they already beat in the regular season. Contrast that with 1995, when Brett Favre becomes the MVP. Robert Brooks is now one of the best receivers in the NFL. They have two great running backs in Edgar Bennett and Dorsey Levins. Reggie's playing great. The defense is playing great. They go to Dallas and are leading in the fourth quarter, have a couple of mistakes that go against them. Dallas wins. Everybody, including the Cowboys, leave that game saying, Holmgren's Packers are here. This is the team that's going to win the next Super Bowl. Instead of just saying, God, I just wish we could get back to Dallas with a, with a three-point lead to start the fourth quarter. They got Eugene Robinson. They got Santana Dotson. Right. They got... Andre Risen. Andre Risen. They coaxed Keith Jackson to return. They got Don Beebe. They took a chance on Desmond Howard. Yeah. They got I, Bruce Wilkerson and Jeff Dellenbach to shore up their young offensive line, which they needed when they had a ton of injuries. They didn't sit on it. They even got Ron Cox, who ended up playing in the Super Bowl and solidifying their defense when, I believe, Koontz got hurt. Sure. They, everybody thought that team, right after that game, I don't know if you remember that, as soon as that game's over, they're like, this is Dallas's last chance because Green Bay's here. Got, yeah, absolutely. And Ron Wolf said, not trusting it. Anybody want to come to Green Bay and win a championship, we'll take your help. And Ted didn't do that. Well, we talked, we've talked a long time about, uh, about loyalty and how loyalty hurts you. I mean, loyalty is a wonderful trait. But it doesn't serve you very well in the NFL if that player just can't play. And so they've been very loyal to their players. They, you know, they they paid uh, and way overpaid um, Cobb for Randall Cobb, and they they were they gave big contracts to to Clay. Uh, and then when those players really haven't shown up, I mean, there have been several the last couple of years. Both of those players have not shown up. No, and nothing, no no change, uh, no no signing to say, hey, they're just like, well, we we know what they could be. We're sure they're going to get back there next time. And the fact that you're not holding them to get there next time, that's that's a leadership problem. Yeah, that's a problem where where the players now. Are are running the team? I won't make the same yeah. comment that you know the the Texans <laughs> owner said, but yeah, but the yeah, players yeah. are are essentially saying, "Hey, we need to keep this guy because we're all friends and we're all tight together." Is he is he faster? No. Is he bigger? No. Is he younger? No. Then he's got to go. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it's it's just interesting. It, it feels like it's not as surprising as it seems like it should be because of how. They tried exclusively to improve this team two of the last three years through the draft. And even the free agents they brought in this year were like fringe free agents. Right, they right. were guys who wouldn't have had too many opportunities outside of Green Bay. Ahmad Brooks, everybody was excited when he got here. There's a reason he was available a week before the season. I, yep, there you go. I mean, I was excited. I, I would quit and dial. I was excited to get them. But again, you know, I think I have Ahmad Brooks in my mind from four years ago. Yeah. And Father Time is undefeated. And so, and so here's the 49ers saying, yep, you were great. Yeah. Not great anymore. We're not going to fall in love with your, your name. And so I, I'm saying I fell in love with that and, and didn't really realize or didn't take into effect the, uh, the effect that time has. So uh, the fact that it has dropped so fast, so quickly, I think we all kind of had a, a fear in the back of our minds, yeah. but to see it all implode at one time at every level, uh, you know, we got spoiled. We've mm-hmm. been spoiled over the last 20, 20 plus years. And 
full rebuild, you know, you better do something because you got Aaron Rodgers for what three more years, four more years. Well, we'll see what that shoulder is like. I right. know modern medicine certainly beats the medicine of you know twenty five years ago when guy, you know, I. I remember Dan Marino tearing his Achilles and then limping for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. It had to wear an orthopedic shoe to be able to play. And he toughed it out. He had one more great season and was still effective, I guess is the nicest word yeah. to say. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Aaron Rodgers, but it's not a sure thing. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And rebuild's a scary word. And it's crazy that we're saying this about a 4-4 four and four team, but certainly they've shown nothing in the three games now with a bye week in the middle. Exactly. All home games, or, or two home games against, you're not playing the Patriots every week, and so, ooh. And here's a scary thing for you. Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play till 40. That's awesome. If the team's average or bad, you think you think he comes Does back he to for do the it two here? last years? Yeah. I mean, he comes back for the next several years because he loves to play. But at some point, he goes, "We're not winning a championship, and I'm 37. I, I think we're good. If if we're a very good team and we're on the verge, he'll stay and he'll stay to try and win that next championship. But if he doesn't see it, if he doesn't believe, yeah, then you know, I I think it's pretty easy to hang up your spikes a couple of years earlier. So uh, I'm as frustrated as you are, and um, you know, my heart my heart is broken. I don't know how yeah. else to say it. Yeah, mine is too because I think Monday. At about halftime, maybe I'll give them the end of the third quarter. Whenever it got to twenty to three, mm-hmm. it clicked to me and said, "Rogers, McCarthy, and Thompson as a championship team are finished." Yeah, and we're watching right now. We'll always watch. We're we're loyal fans. I'm gonna watch. I watched until Jamal Williams scored his first career touchdown in an untimed play right. at eleven o'clock <laughs> at night when I have right. to work in the morning. Right. I'm here for everything, but it, it just occurred to me that. We've seen the best of this group, and in the McCarthy autobiography, and in the Rogers autobiography, and the Thompson autobiography, these games that we're watching and these stories that we're living and dying with will be a couple of paragraphs that said, and then they were never able to recapture their previous magic. And that could be the next several seasons if these guys stay around. Right. So, so you'll see how the reaction, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think there's, you know, people have been calling for Don, Dom Capers have forever. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't see, listen, you don't fire the head coach and the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator. I mean, that's just too much, uh, tumult in, in a way. So, um, you know, I, you just have to think that, that something's, they're so stuck to their ways. Yeah. Like they're, they're trying to make one or two degree changes to, to schemes and, and ways of drafting players that just plain don't work. You don't need a 1% change. You need a 90-degree you know, <laughs> left-hand turn. That's what it seems like. So I have a couple of questions for you. Sure. So how many games do you think they'll win the rest of this year? So I think Aaron Rodgers um, will not come back. Yep. That's my, that's my belief. Uh, I think they will win three more. Okay, so they're a 7-9 seven and seven nine and team. 7-9 nine team. So... Fun trivia: If they go seven and nine, it'll be the only time in franchise history they've ever gone seven and nine. Oh, weird that okay. they've never yeah. gone seven and nine. So seven and nine would put them what in the low teens? Right, probably fourteen in the draft. Uh, yeah, yeah. Draft. Right. Okay, so and also if they go seven and nine, they win three more at this point. They go three and five the rest of the way. So maybe that gives you some hope that this team isn't completely, you know, devoid of talent mm-hmm. outside of Aaron Rodgers. But let's say they finish six and ten or worse. Yeah. So then you're in the top ten. It's pretty clear then going two and ten without Aaron Rodgers or two and you know whatever. T- right, right. Without right. Aaron Rodgers, that you probably need a complete rebuild. 
Do you trust Ted to rebuild that team? Wow. Does he have the interest to rebuild that team? And here's with a 33-year-old quarterback, do you take a quarterback? Yeah. I mean, think about that for a second. We, that, that's not something we would have ever talked about a month ago. But if you're a top 10 pick, um, and this is going to be a, a quarterback-heavy yeah. class, a really good class coming out, what other player yeah. is going to make that much difference? Um, and you know that, and know the story with Rodgers will end at some point. Yeah. So um, he will be Aaron Rodgers. About it's crazy how fast time goes. He will be about 14 months younger than Brett Favre was when Rodgers was drafted. Oh wow! This draft. Wow. That doesn't seem possible. No. Um, so, so your point is, uh, I, I think you, uh, you know, you, you, you let Ted Thompson go, and I think Elliot Wolf is kind of in line yeah. uh, for that. Pl- and I think he's, you know, he's there's something to be said for a young gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has um, Ron Wolf as father, so he yeah. get all kind of guidance in that. You know, th- that's my hope and prediction is that you let Dom Capers go, you let Winston become the defensive coordinator, Ted Thompson retires, you let Elliot Wolf make the next draft, you keep McCarthy, yeah, uh, and and. Um, and then, and then you just get fa- you get faster and bigger. That's um, and and listen, you probably let Clay go. Uh, yeah, Cobb, Cobb, you know, going to keep paying Cobb ten million dollars a year. Not if you can um, get out of it, right? Exactly. What do you do with Devontae Adams? Like, yeah, and and he's going to take a, tr- a tremendous hit because if Rodgers was there, he's going to you know he'll have a thousand yards receiving. You know, if he has six hundred yards receiving now. Yeah. He'll be very fortunate. So, so if you're Devontae, you say, "Hey, listen, you got to pay me like a number one receiver." The Packers say, "Well, listen, your numbers don't say it. Does he even stay?" Well, they they could franchise tag him, I right? Suppose. That's true. They got the cap, but yeah, that, that those are all interesting things. And I guess if we're going to have such lousy games, I mean, Yahoo put it best that the Packers are unwatchable without Aaron Rodgers. I just, saw that. That was painful. After yeah, and again, remember a month ago we were talking about. Well, I was talking yeah. about. You know. Uh, Super Bowl favorite, and a lot I believed of people, it. The, the NFC is so bad. I believed that just having Aaron Rodgers was enough. Yep, a- and look what having the right quarterback does. I mean, look at Carson Wentz and what he's doing in in Philadelphia. I mean, they've been building that team for some time, but they have an ex quarterback in Peterson, mm-hmm. and they have a big, strong uh, quarterback. And everyone said, "Oh, he played in Division Three, and he's not going to be good." Listen, you can either throw the ball or you can't. Yeah, you can either you can either stay in the pocket or you can't. And so uh, they're not running the single wing in Division Three, right? Yeah, exactly right. So um, I, there, there's an awful lot of work there to be done. But but I'm really super concerned about the offensive line. I mean, our, our yeah. draft choices on the offensive line, you, you know, you might as well put hinges on Springs because he's yeah. a swinging gate, and and that that was the that was the plan going forward. So if you let Balaga go because he's so injured so yeah. often, who do you plug in? Yeah, and, and maybe not even letting Belaga go. Like, can he come back? Will he want to come exactly. back? You know, tearing three ACLs in, in six years. and I guess I meant that not yeah, letting go, absolutely. but, you know, he may absolutely. just choose to retire. Well, and, you know, Ted's been trying to rebuild this defense for almost a decade now and hasn't been able to do it. Maybe if you get a different coordinator, some of those things change. But, you know, that, that's the thing that's scary. If you want another thing to get mad about Ted Thompson, speaking of the, the Philadelphia Eagles – the Miami Dolphins, who are not eliminated by any means, were in the playoffs last year, gave away their best player for a fourth-round pick. So what could we have gotten to improve the 2014 team or the 2016 yeah, team to make a serious Super Bowl run? They needed one extra best player from a crap team in those NFC Championship games. And Ted's like, no, i got to have a fourth-round pick. I might get Will Blackman. There's, uh, you know, those, uh, there's so many people who'd say draft and develop, draft and develop. Well, this is kind of the, uh, this is this is 
the end result of draft and develop, yeah. right? So, so people say, oh, the Packers are so good for draft and develop, and, and Aaron Rodgers covered it up for so long. The end result is that draft and develop without free agency appears to be a disaster. It yeah. appears to be, um, you know, even, even for the Eagles, right? They, uh, um, they, they have free agents that came in so that Carson Wentz doesn't have to carry the, all the weight in his second season. So I think this is a – I can't think of the word, but it's a um, – it means that draft and develop alone without ever is a failed experiment. Yeah, and you see all these draft and develop teams. So I understand draft and develop because it's a phenomenal strategy to compete for the playoffs every year, mm-hmm. which as a fan, I appreciate that. But you look at all of the draft and develop teams that have won championships, the Packers, the Seahawks, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, the Patriots are their own different animal, but... You know, the, at Falcons, even the teams that got to the playoffs and didn't win, the, the, the Falcon or the Super Bowl, excuse me, and right. didn't win, the Panthers, the Falcons, you get a tight window where everybody matures and they're about 26, so they're bigger, exactly, stronger, and faster. Exactly right. And you get your chance to win. You win then. There's nobody drafting and developing a team that's a Super Bowl contender for eight years. They can go to the playoffs every year, but then you're like, I hope we get a few lucky bounces and get a second chance, but. Everybody gets that window to be great, and if you don't win as many titles as you can in that window, it's over. Exactly right, and and let's just you know the unspoken thing here is that draft and develop only works if you draft the right players. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know because the, the the root cause of this is this we've just made terrible drafting choices. So listen, I'm a huge Packer fan. I've always been a huge Packer fan. I lived through 30 years of wandering through the desert, you know, from the 70s and the 80s and most of the 90s. And uh, and so I'm I'm bored as much as anything, but but you know when you when you see enough in there that you no longer have faith in the leadership either on the field or in the uh, you know in the coaching staff or in the executive suites, you, you start to wonder if we're you know heading da- back to the desert. Well, I certainly hope not. And uh, luckily, Aaron Rodgers, even with 13 screws, probably will be back next year. He 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 might never be you know, all world or all universe, all multiverse Aaron Rodgers ever again, but he should be still pretty darn good comparatively. And um, at least we won't be in the desert yet, but you have to wonder if our, <laughs> it, it felt like in 2010 that our next Super Bowl was in, within grasp right. and it was going to come inevitably. Two years, right. Two years, three years. Yeah, at or the at least. the very least before Aaron Rodgers retired. Uh-huh. Uh, I no longer believe that. I think that if Aaron Rodgers wins another Super Bowl, it's as likely to be not in Green Bay as it is to be in Green Bay. Boy, that's a that's a terrible thought, isn't it? That's uh, that's a painful thought, but I think you're right. It's this whole thing is so depressing, but it is what it is. So I want to go to the Facebook page and uh, ask some of the fans what they're. I asked the fans what they thought, and they shared Corey Ben, one of our great fans. I'm feeling super lazy, and I don't see the need for me to put in any more effort analyzing this game than the Packers put in trying to win it. So I'm just going to copy and paste my status post from earlier this morning. So apparently that game or the game that I had to sleep through last night was absolutely brutal and borderline unwatchable i guess having the early morning shift work in my worked in my favor this time i'd be excited about the packers losing streak improving their draft position and allowing them to take a stud defensive player if i wasn't so certain that ted thompson will either a take the wrong guy in the first round or b retain dom capers again after the packers finish 28th in total defense this year in which case it basically won't matter who he drafts um, so uh, he's yeah. dead on. I mean, that that's a wonderful post, and he's absolutely dead on. His his fears are our fears. 
Absolutely. And uh, more fears from another great longtime fan, Eric Hansen. To be totally honest, I think some of the issues that we noticed earlier with this team are now coming to the forefront with Rodgers injured. First, the defense is bad, and it all stems from the front seven not dominating the line of scrimmage whatsoever. Um, The guy who tends to... Now I'm deviating from what Eric said, but I suppose we should mention the guy who does uh, tend to dominate the line of scrimmage also has a mouth that is a bit more all-pro than his actual performance, that guy being Mike Daniels. And I think we all like his hustle, but he talks like Warren Sapp, and he plays like Booger McFarlane. Well, uh, that headbutt, I mean, that really absolutely changed the momentum of the game. I mean, you know, the Packers drive, and they drive down the field, and you go, okay, it wasn't spectacular, but it was a long drive, and, you know, we get a field goal, the field goal gets blocked. They they get him, they force him to punt on fourth down. Oh! Except yeah. uh, Mike Daniels trying to be the tough guy or whatever headbutts somebody because he was being held. Listen, if you're a defensive tackle in the NFL, you get held every play. Yeah. I don't care who you are, and he's been in the league lo- long enough to know that. And that play, I really think, I mean, it changed the whole dynamic yeah. of the game because you go from three up three to nothing and have the ball again to down seven to three. And you've shot yourself in the foot twice, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, that creeps into the mindset of the players. It absolutely does. And that would have been the only punt the Packers have forced in the last six quarters. Um, as it stood, Detroit did not punt in the game. It was the only time, or it was the first time since 1971 that the Lions didn't punt in a game, and the first time in the 50-year history of Lambeau Field where the opponent didn't punt. Wow. Um, uh, that's what I heard, that's at historically least. historically bad. Yeah, that is very bad. So now I have to try to find my spot. In uh, um, uh, okay, so uh, long situations. Sorry, this is great radio. Okay, further, even when they do get a stop in the early downs, they don't hold up on third and long situations, so it becomes a moot point that you had a tackle for a loss on first and second down. I know you guys talked about letting Dom retire at the end of the season as a good option for change, but given all that's happened, I almost feel like letting go of Dom Capers right now in the middle of the season might be the best thing for the team. I've heard interviews with players who describe how when you have a coach or coordinator and their game plan just continues to not work, it becomes human nature to just tune them out when they talk in meetings and not give 100% effort on every down. I have a sneaking, sneaky suspicion that that's what happened with this defense. They need a change. Now on the offense, I have no idea why after a nice opening drive with a combination of short passes run and quarterback options that they seem to just go completely or that they just seem to completely abandon all of that and go into a pure drop back pass mode with the rest of the game. They became way too one dimensional on that front and were also asking too much of their young quarterback. At this point, I think the best we could hope for with this team is a seven and nine finish. Assuming they don't even do that well, though, what do you guys think might happen with this coaching staff in the offseason or even in the regular season? Will big changes be in store or will it just continue to be more of the same? Yeah, Aaron Jones, who's been tearing the world up, uh, got four carries in the first quarter, one in the rest of the game. Oh, my goodness. And this is a game that really didn't get out of hand until the third quarter, so that's completely inexcusable. And Uh, and, and more importantly, remember fourth and two? Fourth and two, we run – it's not even a fly sweep. A fly sweep would have been better than that. You know, know, you've got a quarterback who runs read option. He's run read option since he was – 19 years yeah. old, and when's the last time a read option play didn't get two yards? It's, it's not going to get 30. Yeah. But it, so you've got an athletic quarterback. You, you've got a play he's runs for the last you know eight years of his life, and you choose a fly sweep. 
to to certainly not our fastest receiver. And then Cobb, a receiver, first of all, <laughs> yeah. And then and then Cobb turns it in. If you watch the play, if he just keeps it wide, he absolutely makes yeah. the first down. So clearly, you know, and I've not seen uh, Cobb run a bunch of fly sweeps before. So no, you're going to pull out something you've never done during the year on fourth and two when yeah. you're, uh, you know, just. And I totally agreed with them going for it. Of course, but then it was such a weird decision. And as far as the long term. I thought as badly as they played that that goes under the category of seeing how bad they played after a bye week of that puts the seed in your mind. Should this guy be fired? Talking Mike McCarthy. But with the Packers, status quo is always the preferred choice. I think even if they go 4-12, and there's a good chance that nothing changes. Wow. That that, That would be very hard to explain for people. And uh, and I, you know his point uh, about us talking about Dom retiring and and being you know being gracious about him going out. Listen, you know you're not going to win with offense. So think about this for a second. Yeah. If your goal is to win a football game, and I you know if the goal is to win the game, as that coach famously said, <laughs> and you're pretty sure you're not going to win it on offense, then you've got to do something to win it on defense, right? So yeah. so we used to score thirty. Now we're going to score seventeen. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. So that means the other team's got to be held to 16. So that means you've got to change. If you've been giving up yeah. 28 points because you're scoring 35, you can't run the same defense and expect somehow magically it's going to change. Mm-hmm. And so that – I don't think Dom's going to abandon his defense anytime soon. And so, listen, I, 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 I've said it before. You could you could make him a, a special assistant. You could make have Moss move up and make him a special assistant so you don't embarrass him. But I got to tell you, you're going to lose an awful lot of Packer fans if you don't change something because it's clear in the best possible of circumstances they laid an egg. Yeah, you make a good point about losing all the Packer fans because I am i can't envision a scenario in which I'm not watching Packer games. But one of the reasons we didn't do a show last week, we've I think we've had a bye week where we didn't do a show mm-hmm. before. But one of the reasons uh, we didn't do a show last week, Chris was unavailable for one, but then I have done a lot of solo shows and I just wasn't in the mood. And I... Tried to watch on Sunday when the Packers were off, and first of all, completely forgot that the Vikings and Browns were playing in London. Like, the game was over, and then I saw highlights of it. I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) I was out running errands, and so I was messing around on my phone, reading a book, and sort of watching Bears Saints. I looked up to start getting into the game as it was close in the third quarter, saw Zach Miller explode his leg Oh, trying to catch ugly. it was horrible trying to catch a ball he sets the ball down after rolling to see if his leg is still attached to the rest of his body and while he's getting carted off the referees determine that he didn't catch the ball and at that moment for the first time in my life i watched basketball on a sunday afternoon wow because it just accentuated everything i hate about this league and it's selfish completely but once that super bowl dream is gone i notice concussions and injuries, and sloppy play, and pregame shows that have nothing to do with who's going to win and lose the football games. And if you lose people like me, there's people that have already given up. Right. And we're in Green Bay. We're not in Los Angeles or Miami. We're in Green Bay. What is going to happen to this league in 20 years? It has showed up to me, and that's what I was has been thinking the last several and weeks. And watchership is down across the league already. Yeah. 
Um, so it would again, it, it would take an awful lot for me to not watch the games. The the trouble is, you get uh, you know, hope springs eternal. So hope makes me. I'll be you know, I'll just go right to the money thing. Hope makes me buy the next jersey. Hope yeah. makes me go to the next game. Hope you know. Ben and I uh, were going to go to the game, and it was going to be $200 just to get tickets, and it was going to be $50 to park and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know, $300, and I went, no, it's going to be terrible. Like, it's going to be a terrible game, and being in Lambeau is not enough. And if that's me, who has shelled out more than his fair share to go to Packer games in the past, uh, I don't think I'm the only one. So you you have to do something. You're you're an entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. and if you don't stay entertaining, people turn the channel just like you did. And it's absolutely sour grapes. I understand that. But some of that stuff, like over-officiating and things like that, they got to try to do something with some of those things. But yeah, this has been about as miserable of a season as I remember, but we'll get into that with a later Facebook question. All right. Oh, made mostly another one of our fantastic fans also commented. This was a very frustrating game. The whole team seemed disinterested and it showed the passing game still was stagnant. The running game, not making up for things and the defense still not putting in effort shows that Aaron Rodgers was carrying the whole team. And now the Packers are being exposed badly as for changes. They need to be wholesale, new players, new coaches, new front office, new medical staff. This team, needs to refresh and come to grips with the fact that they just can't compete with the NFL's elite with just Rodgers and guys who look better with him. I hope for a better product against the Bears or there will be serious talks about the futures of some key pieces of this team. So strap in because it's about to get really ugly. Well, hard uh, to, hard I, argue. I, I, I think we're all in the same boat together. Absolutely. That's a great That's a great post. Absolutely. So um, let's put the final nail in this coffin and shovel as much dirt as we can on it because uh, that's exactly where this game belongs. But... Uh, this has gone a little bit long, but we always want to talk about some classic Packers. Sure. And uh, I think we need some classic Packers <laughs> right now. Uh, but let's start with Daniel Johnson, who's taking us almost to the classic era and then l- shining a light on one of the worst parts of it. Um, he put a comment out there several weeks ago, and sorry, Daniel, it took us to now to get to it. But he said, I recently watched Super Bowl 32 again for the first time since it originally aired. I assume everybody listening to this show is total nerds like us, but Super Bowl 32, of course, is the 31-24 to loss to the Broncos um, for the Packers trying to go back-to-back in the Favre-Holmgren years. I forgot about Green Bay going with Freeman and Brooks at kick returner. Do you remember that? What were your thoughts? Seems risky with injuries and being tired for the upcoming series. Not like today where there aren't many returns. Also, all those turnovers really cost us. I didn't think we should have been 14-point favorites, but I did think we should have won the game. Elway and Denver wanted it more. So I've watched that game somewhat recently. It's been a couple of years. And not to get too much into the XOs of it, um, and Chris, you might not have seen it since it aired. <laughs> no, uh, listen, I have some really strong opinions about this. Okay, perfect. So, well, go right into it because yeah. I can get to my stuff later. Okay, so so having those guys return, remember the, remember why the Packers won Super Bowl Thirty One. Desmond Howard yeah. comes up and he has a really big return, and you can see that this is this is a game where both offenses are moving up and down the field, and it doesn't seem like uh, anyone's going to stop each other. So you need a you need a burst from somebody, and mm-hmm. so you know. Uh, and after the game is over, right, you, you have like five months to rest. Yeah. And so and people you, forget before they became elite receivers, Freeman and Brooks were phenomenal, phenomenal. returners. Phenomenal. It, it was it, it was like when we got in trouble and we would put uh, Charles Woodson back yeah. to return punts. 
And so I love that. I, I, I thought pulling out all the stops made uh, an awfully big difference. And, and you have, you know, you have other receivers on the team. Uh, but at that point, you know, you're going all out to win. So mm-hmm. I, I loved the strategy. But, and I think I talked about this one time uh, about Denver. And the Denver loss bothers me a ton. Ugh. But I can explain to you why, what exactly happened. So if you remember... Terrell Davis ran for like 1.7 million yards. Is it, it, was, it was something like I might that, be yeah. a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was but, a, it was 50 or 60 miles. I yeah, think, so yeah. 1.6 million of those were running to the left. And so uh, what they what they did, and it, uh, for, forgive me if I'm talking through this again, but most people don't know this. When the Denver Broncos took a look at the Packers' defense, they saw that that Butler, our safety, was making something like one out of every three tackles when somebody ran to the left side. Okay. And so what they did, very unique and almost unheard of, they assigned a blocker to a safety. Yeah. And so if you watch that game and you watch Terrell Davis's runs to the left, you know you're just if you've watched a lot of football, you know they turn the corner and the safety comes up, bump, bumps them out of bounds, and the play's over. And in those games, you watch them turn the corner, and there's nobody there. Yeah. And and now every run to the left is nine yards and twelve yards and sixteen yards, and you're like. Something looks wrong, yeah. and what's wrong is is that Leroy Butler is laying on the ground because they assigned either a tight end or a guard to pull around that side, and and which means they actually bypassed linebackers because Leroy Butler was that big a deal. And so the reason the Packers uh, they got out schemed, I think they yeah, were fourteen yeah. point pay- favorites. It's one of the biggest favorites mm-hmm. that has ever lost the Super Bowl. Um, but that one that one scheme change changed the entire. Uh, focus of the game, and remember, it also that much running keeps Favre off the field yep. for that mm-hmm. entire time. So brilliant! On I'm still very frustrated when I watch the game, <laughs> um, but now that I know what happened, it makes a lot more sense. And, and Ron Wolf has actually said that when he's asked about that game, he always says his biggest mistakes that year was trading Wayne Simmons and not convincing Sean Jones to play one more year. Because if you remember, who was playing on that side? Gabe Wilkinson. <laughs> no, it wasn't. He he was going to be in that spot, but he had a nagging injury and was going to be a free agent, signed a monster deal with the 49ers the next year. I'll so be, it was Darius Holland. Oh, I'll be darned. You're absolutely <clears throat> correct. And Sean Jones, actually, he you know he's on some of the radio stations here. He says, if I had re-signed, yeah. Uh, and, and who are those guys? Those guys are both on the right edge, yeah. right? So, so they would have been making the plays that Leroy Butler wasn't. So, uh, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. Your memory's better than mine. Well, and that game too. I get irritated when they talk about how big of an upset it was because 14, I think, is how it started. I think it ended up being 11 something was the actual okay. margin. Like, well, 11 and a half. They don't do 11.65. Sure, so <laughs> 11 something means 11 and a half. But that point spread comes almost exclusively from how poor the AFC had performed. Like they're punishing Terrell Davis and a really all-star team that had gone 13 and three the year before. They had the number one offense in the NFL in '97 and a 12 and four record, and they're punishing them because Jim Kelly couldn't beat Dallas and because Tony Lilly got ran over by Timmy Smith. Yeah. You know, it's it's all that kind of stuff. But Again, and this, when I was researching for this, it almost made me sad. It it, it didn't almost, it did. Because I went back and I was looking at uh, the newspaper from that time. And it was preordained that the Packers were going to win. And it was like the day after, just no really thought that they could have possibly lost. They're tearing into Favre and Holmgren like they lost 50 to nothing. I mean, 
you lost by seven with the ball inside the Denver 30 as time, you know, as you turn it over on downs. Right. And it just, it was just so, like, sad. And it made me think of this time period because a year later, Holmgren's gone. And it went from, you remember, I'm sure, because it took, it was such a picturesque climb to the top. Like a story. Dallas, Dallas, lose at Dallas, lose at Dallas, lose at Dallas, beat Carolina, and you see a dynasty coming. Absolutely. And just the fact that you go, surprise team eliminated on the last day, road playoff game that we win, home playoff game that we win, then we win the division, go to the NFC Championship game and lose, then we get home field advantage, win the Super Bowl. Like that's a five-year journey that I think is so picturesque that it's ruined sports fans my age because you expect that to happen all the all time, the time right. to all of your teams that are rebuilding. But then it was the next step is beat Denver, win back-to-back, become a dynasty. And to have that ripped away from you and then Holmgren's gone a year later, it made me think of this team where Aaron Rodgers throws an 11-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Adams and we're going to go back to the Super Bowl and now it's – we might not be back for a long, long time. Yeah. And that was four weeks ago. It, it just kind of falls uh, it falls apart so quickly. And there were conversations about Holmgren going, leaving the Packers as a coaching staff even before Super Bowl Thirty Two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have to think that that was a distraction as well. So I, I have a tendency to to uh, give credit to the Broncos more than I do take the Packers to task. <laughs> they uh, won the Super Bowl again next year with one of the greatest teams ever. So I think they deserve. I, there's the there's credit. something there. Yeah. So um, that's. If I were not a Packer fan, that would be a great Super Bowl. Um, when I watched it a couple of years ago, there's a play in the third, or I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter on third down where Freeman's running a crossing route uh-huh. and Favre throws it behind him. And Freeman gets his hand on it and doesn't catch it. If Freeman catches that, he runs for probably 50 yards. And I think of those types of plays because to me, it's you're a fingertip away. If Freeman catches that, he probably runs down, and then instead of Denver getting the ball and scoring a touchdown with no time left, the Packers break the 24 tie and score a touchdown sure. with no time left. If Freeman gets him down there, he's the MVP of the game. He had two touchdowns oh, already yeah. in that game. Yep. He had played great. He's the MVP of Super Bowl Thirty Two. Think how that changes his life. Holmgren's a Hall of Famer. Leroy Butler's a Hall of Famer. I mean, all that changes because Brett Favre, had been relentlessly blitzed the whole game and makes a bad throw. Yeah, um, I think you're exactly right. That history history turns on a dime. Uh, I, I do want to really quickly. I know we're running a little bit yeah. long, but I have to tell you the story. So right after Super Bowl 32, my family and I we go to uh, Canton to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yep. And in Canton, they have this amazing uh, surround screen. Like yep. the screen goes 360 degrees around you and the sound is incredible. So I get in there and what they're playing are the highlights from, from uh, 32. <laughs> and I embarrassed my son and my wife so badly because every time Denver took the snap, I'm screaming in this audience, they're going to run left. <laughs> Cause I was so upset about that. Um, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about one play being able to make or, uh, or break a team. And we've just had so many of those in the last few years that you start to you start to feel a little snake bit. Yeah, absolutely. You realize that people are probably getting asked if they should go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and they said twenty years ago this this freaking jerk. <laughs> like outside of that and some crazy fans but let me tell you about this guy i was really really loud because i was still it's like three months later and i'm still really mad no i'm i was 10 at the time and it was like wow you mean that the world doesn't always break in my favor 
<laughs> this is a bunch of crap. Hey, okay. yeah. What's up with this? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Daniel had another thing that he wanted us to talk about, um, and I, I just missed that he had a an earlier comment with uh, some of his um, comments on the game. So I think Daniel, we're gonna bypass those um, just for brevity's sake. But he had some good comments there, but. Here's the thing you wanted to ask. I know Chris is a little bit more seasoned than Eric, Matt, <laughs> and myself. Done. So there you go. That's a nice way to put it. I would like to hear his thoughts and reflections on some classic topics from before our time. I would like to post one of these um, a week, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it, Daniel. That would be great. The first one is the 1992 Packers season. What was the feeling about Brett Favre after Don Mikowski got hurt? Was there any talk about what would happen when, Maka- when Mikowski was healthy and whether or not he'd get his job back? Was there anybody saying that he should get his job back was his job really that secure before he got hurt um and i have been watching a lot of old america's games episodes and the 2001 patriots made me think of this topic because of course brady replaced bledsoe um and then we talked about super bowl 32 so 1992 of course brett Favre takes over for mikowski in week three has a phenomenal comeback wins 24 to 23 uh started the next week and never didn't start Mm -hmm. He won his first start, and then they had a three-game losing streak after that. Right. And at the end of that losing streak, Mikowski actually was healthy and ready to go. So what do you remember about that very, very early Favre time? So so I think we were so excited about – because if you think about it, Brett Favre and Mikowski are very different physical specimens. Mikowski is more like a like a point guard. I mean, he's taller, but but, yeah. but he's kind of thin. He's a gazelle. Wire, he's a gazelle, exactly. Smooth. A- and uh, – and, um, and so, you know, what we had seen, though, is our Superman was, you know, there was kryptonite for our Superman. And so when Mikowski went down, we there was some thought about, well, you got to have somebody tougher back there. You have to have, have somebody stronger. But I also will tell you his holdout played a, a role. Sure. If you remember that, just a year or two earlier, um, his his holdout – he he went from the magic man to being this really like how could you do that to Green Bay? It was still a very innocent time, sure. and and you know Packers were Packers because they loved to play and it wasn't about the money. But there was this underwhelm. You know when he came back, we were like, okay, well we have our guy back, but but he lost a lot of love from the yeah. from the players, and so he as long as he was winning, things were kind of fine. Uh, but as soon as Favre came in, we were so, and not only that. You know, Green Bay was all about the aw shucks, yeah. southern guy, and Mikowski was kind of this California kind of thing, and he just he he fit because he won. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he fit because he won, not because he was really embraced so much by the the Packer fans. And so I I think what happened during that time is uh, Mikowski kind of became persona non grata. And there was this idea that um, there's going to be this transition because he was kind of this superstar, kind of this pretty boy, kind of this, well, if I don't get my way, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I think the Packers, in some ways, were kind of holding their ground there, saying, we're not going to let you hold us hostage yeah. like that. You've, did, you've done it once, but we're certainly not going to give you the opportunity again. And, and you know what's funny? Favre was so... Even in his losses, he was so excited to watch. Yeah, yeah. Like, like even his interceptions were beautiful. <laughs> he threw a lot of them. But he, you know, the 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 the, flip, the balls he flips to receivers, the mm-hmm. you know the throws that he's making almost you know horizontal to the ground. He made it super entertaining to be uh, a Packer fan. And then you kind of watched him and Holmgren go at it on the yeah, sidelines, yeah, and yeah. it was. Um, 
Well, if it's entertainment, it was entertaining. But I, I really, I think the reason Mikowski didn't get a chance is because you know, fool me once, shame yeah. on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And uh, we had kind of found a guy who fit our culture, fit our attitude, fit like a Packer quarterback. And um, and that's the direction we were going to go. Yeah, and I, I I was five years old in 1992, but I remember all I remember about Don Mikowski before I got older, and then I learned 1989 happened, and I was like, what <laughs> Mikowski? Because all I remember as a kid was my dad thinking he was a wimp because he he tore his rotator cuff, and then 91 he every week it was a new injury. They had to play Tom Zach, right? And then he got hurt right away with Favre, and so he just would talk about Mikowski like. He was this biggest wimp in the world. And then you're replacing him with a guy who in college had dug himself out of car wreckage to beat Alabama. (laughs) Exactly. So I think he instantly endeared himself. And I went back today and looked at the the, the Green Bay Press-Gazette in that time period Uh because I wanted to see what they were saying. Sure. And basically all they say is, well, the Favre's had a rough couple of weeks, um, but Holmgren's going to make a choice now that Mikowski's available. Mm -hmm. A couple days later, they don't even mention it in the intervening days. A couple days later, they say Favre's the quarterback, and that's it. Mikowski says, I'm okay with it. The players are like, yep, we got to go with the guy. But here is the thing why I love looking at these old snapshots, and I love reading the old newspaper articles. So this, the Packers at the time were 2-4. and four. They had lost two games after Favre's great debut with uh, the, the debut start beating the Steelers and then, of course, the, the Cincinnati game the right. week before. So they had lost two games since then and offensively hadn't been the greatest. But Holmgren names Favre the starter against the Bears at home. Uh-huh. They lose 30-10 to 10 to Ditka's Bears, and Favre plays okay but not the greatest. They fall to 2-5. and five. So in there's a section in the Green Bay Press-Gazette that was for fan submissions of letters. You know, now you just have your Facebook page. Back right. then, you had to send it in. <laughs> right. So here, uh, D.L. Weedner sent this in on the Thursday after that loss to the Bears. Okay. The Packers are 2-5. and five. Headline, Packers are a useless team. Another wasted Sunday watching our illustrious Green Bay Packers impersonate a professional football team. I say the Green Bay Packers, Inc. should sell the entire useless team and take the proceeds and pay off all of the season ticket holders for pain and suffering, embarrassment, etc. The whole organization is a big farce. So this is October 29th, 1992, when they're 2-5 and five against the uh-huh. Chicago Bears. In the previous uh, six seasons plus 1992, the Packers had gone 35 and 66 and were two and 11 against the Bears. So I can sense this guy's frustration. Sure. I love history because you have to remind yourself that they don't know what we know. From that date forward, over the next six and a half seasons, the Packers they would finish seven and two the rest of 1992. They would go 82 and 37, oh go to two Super Bowls, <laughs> appear in uh, win one of them, and go 12 and one against the Chicago Bears over the rest of Holmgren's time. He picked that moment of like the last of the useless Packers. From that moment forward, they were one of the model franchises in all of professional sports. I think that's the difference between being a fan and, and being uh, kind of somebody who really understands uh, the game and, and the, the philosophies behind the game. But, but you got to remember, I, my, my guess is that this guy was 
I, I don't know, but 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 he had lived through some years, kind of like yeah. I had, and they, you know, we had always had these little sparks of possibilities, right? And you know, John Hadle would have a great game, and then you, and then you know, we beat Washington on that Monday night game, the highest scoring Monday night game, and so there were always these moments where we felt like we were going to break out, and so we had Mikowski, and we had another breakout, and we had another disappointment, right? And so we had no reason to believe, none, zero, yeah. that anything was going to change because we're now twenty five or thirty years into this, yeah. Uh, well, it's, let's say 20 years yeah. into this uh, really barren desert of places. So uh, I think a lot of people were as frustrated. As that's pretty extreme. I will tell you that's a, that's a little, you know, that's a little off the deep end. I uh, kind of wonder how many games he watched after that, <laughs> and he probably was cheering at the front row at the, when they won the Super Bowl. But, but I'm not going to blame him there. No, he's not alone. I, n- not, not at all. Yeah, I mean, 2-5 start in 1992, that is the driest part of that 25-year desert. How could he have known, and he would have been a fool to expect what was to come? And that is, again, it's it's just... You know who knows what's on the horizon. Maybe maybe Brett Hundley crushes the world, or Joe Callahan comes in and wins six games later in the season. Like you never know. It could be the inverse. It could be the worst. Who would have thought? After Rodgers threw that touchdown to Devontae Adams, that there's that Rodgers would not throw another touchdown in 2017. Yeah. So what it does tell you though is that when you get a once in a lifetime player, and we've had two in a row, yeah. you better do something with yeah. it. Yeah. Because that that doesn't you know 25 years before we had our first one, and we just happened to get our second one right after him, it could easily be another 20 years. So uh, this whole idea of regime change or really significant change in the pack organization, listen, I really believe I think you have. Aaron Rodgers for four more years for yeah. sure. That's my guess. And if you don't make some big changes, um, you're you're really wasting. You know, we'll talk about this ten years yeah. from now. Is really wasted opportunity. Yeah, I think my I'll, I'll go right back to 2014 until they win another title. Even if they win another title, but with none of the same people. Right. I mean, that's always gonna ugh, that just. That one sucks. Um, okay, so Brian Dinsey also left a comment that I wanted to get to. So Brian had also a great topic that he wanted us to discuss, but um, we're running a little long, so I promise we'll get to that um, next week. Or I guess we didn't do a show last week. We could, uh, we yeah, made a little bit longer. Why not? Okay, everybody so, can you know have a have an extra chicken wing or something <laughs> and uh, and hang in there with us. Well, and I owe Brian a solid because sometimes I tend to miss some of his on here because um, you know I, I cherish all of our fans, but. Uh, you know, um, Brian was in my wedding, so sometimes I can apologize in real life. <laughs> probably uh, want to when I miss his stuff. Um, okay, so I was at the game on Monday, and what I can say is there were many opportunities downfield. I asked Brian this yesterday. I actually talked to him on the phone. I said, how did it look in person? Yeah. And he said, there were guys open. So Hundley was electing not to throw to them. Right, right. Um, however, the offense chose to go against that until we were already out of it. Also, intensity was not shown, but anyone during the game – or I'm sorry, buy anyone during the game. But when you have $30 million in three wide receivers, you need to use them more, and they need to step up on their own. It's also clear that Nick Perry and Clay Matthews are not good anymore, and we can't get pressure at all. And if you watch Clay, he's like dancing around the lineman and can't push anyone back. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. He's he's not only a shadow of his former self, but I see him giving up on plays. I see him giving the first two seconds really good effort but if he doesn't break through he just dances with the lineman and yeah. so uh, and again still you know getting sucked in by all those fakes oh my gosh like he's in the league you know how many is he league, in the league eight this years is his ninth season, and you're yeah. still getting fooled by the naked bootlegs to your side mm-hmm. uh I, 
<laughs> Although yeah. on um, on Monday Night Football, he did set a record, which a lot of people don't know. Okay. Uh, midway through the second quarter, um, he set the record for highest commercial to sack ratio in one season. <laughs> so at least he's got that going for yeah, him. Yeah, I think that's, that's something we've talked about in the past when you know your players are about to become bad as soon as they start showing up in commercials <laughs> because their focus has really changed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Brian's comment that he put on there last week was, please discuss both of yours most surprising season result and most disappointing one um, also biggest bust and biggest surprise contributors in Packers history so let's start with that I know it, it might be hard to jog the memory I'm a super nerd so if you start giving me details I could probably pinpoint it for you well I think I know what it is gotcha uh, okay. so I think uh, for me the most surprising one in a positive way was I think 82 is the strike shortened season it is you're right and um, and we go to the playoffs now you have to understand that we haven't been to the playoffs since MacArthur Lane and John Brock in 1972, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep. And, uh, you know, we have a series of, we have the John Hadle experiment, and then we've got the, um, gosh, every, we've got the Rich Campbells and everyone else. And and we really kind of thought, um, there was no way. If you had played that that whole year, yeah. the Packers don't make it in the playoffs. They faded fast yeah, after. E- yeah. Exactly right. And so, uh, and so what was really surprising is, I think for the first time in about 10 years, People got excited about oh my gosh they're you know they're they're playing at least at a level where it's more than respectable they're actually playing with people who are playoff football people and in our back of our mind we know they're not great we, I mean we know they're not they're not world beaters exciting though but, but it had been ten years before the Packers had been in a playoff game and we couldn't have cared less whether it was strike shortened we couldn't have cared less if it was replacing players you know green and gold was on the field in a playoff game. And um, and you know didn't didn't go that you know didn't yeah. go that well from there. Well, they crushed the the Cardinals, and then I think they had they had people storm the field. And again, when I was going through the press gazette, the front page the day after that is how unruly the fans were because they wouldn't leave the field. And then uh, they lost to Dallas in a great shootout to the Danny White teams the next week. Yeah. So so think about how how desperate how thirsty the fans were for a winner. That you win the first round playoff game and the fans <laughs> storm the field. So if, Basically if, if, if our newer if our newer listeners don't have a good feel for that, that's really there was such a love for the team and and we were just you know we had been the the, the little brother for so long. Um, just getting in there and beating somebody in the playoffs was and, and the Cardinals were not a bad team. I no. mean, the, the Cardinals Cardinals could run the ball and Neil Lomax. Yeah, exactly right. Boy, that there you go. Well done. Um, so, so to, for me, in a really positive way, that was the most exciting year for me. Okay, that's that's a great one. Um, for me, um, it's a season we've talked about a ton, but it's 2007. I had given up any hope, and I would say most Packer fans that weren't total homers had given up any hope of not only Brett Favre contending for a Super Bowl, but the high likelihood that he'd never even ever be in a playoff game again. Yep. I mean, they barely got to 8-8 eight and eight the year before, but they weren't that good. I think their average margin of defeat was like 18 points or something in, in McCarthy's first year, and Rodgers is right on his heels. So you just kind of you wanted him to break the touchdown record, maybe you can get another comeback or two to give us a glimpse of the, the old Brett Favre right. and, and go out on a respectable note. And then they win. And then they win again. And then he breaks the record and they win again. And all of a sudden you look up and they're like six and one. And you're like, well, this can't sustain himself. We got road games at Denver and Kansas City. We're going to fall apart. And then he has dramatic comebacks in both of them. Absolutely. They're 13 and three. Then they start I, every game that year. 
I just kept waiting for old Brett Favre to return and the team to fall apart. This can't be happening. Then they start out down 14 to nothing against Seattle, and I'm like, well, there it is. There they fell go. apart. And instantly they get the lead back, and it's a blowout. Is in that the, the snowball game? That's the snowball game. I was game. at the snowball game. That's phenomenal. Uh, two two uh, fumbles by Dorsey Levins, I think. Uh, Ryan Grant. Ryan Grant, Same thank number. you very much. Same well number. done. <laughs> uh, it, very early. Um, uh, both of the Seattle touchdowns were really short touchdowns because Ryan Grant, once on a running play and once on a screen play, fumbles. And then Ryan Grant has an amazing game. Like, talk about making up for your mistake. Yep. He has an amazing game, and and they call it the Snow Globe game for a reason. It it I, on it, it was the most beautiful, picturesque game I could have possibly imagined, and um, so so that it's, sorry about that. No, I no, jumped in, but it was that's awesome. it was an amazing game to be at. Yeah, that's still the record. Ryan Grant had the record for two hundred yards, and um, yeah, that I. I'll tell my story quick before I, I tell the end of this, but I watched that game on a 13-inch screen at KFIZ Radio in Fond du Lac. <laughs> um, I, at the time, was what's called a board operator. I don't even know if they have those anymore, but I would actually play the commercials manually because they didn't, they weren't automated okay. yet. And so I'm sitting there watching the game by myself, and they had the ridiculous snowstorm in, in Green Bay, but it was basically statewide. And so I lived out in the boonies at the time. I was, uh, It was Christmas break when I was home from college, so I was living... Um, at my parents' house out in the middle of nowhere. And so I'm so excited. I'm watching this game by myself. I think I had texting at that time, but Uh somehow I'm communicating with people, calling people. And so this is a phenomenal game. And I'm so excited, but then I'm sitting there, and I have to do the Patriots and the Jaguars after it. And then I was supposed to take this post-game coverage until it was over, and that national Westwood One post-game mm-hmm. can go until like 1 in the morning. Okay. And I'm watching this snow pile up. I'm, <laughs> you know, lowest rung in the totem pole. I don't have any choices in anything. And luckily at the time, I'd sat so much in that chair so I could figure out how to program the automation. Right. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there, and I'm supposed to take this post-game show for another two hours, and my car is buried. There's no cars on the road. And so as soon as they sign off on the Patriots game, I'm supposed to have this two-hour post-game show. I get on the live mic and say, what a phenomenal day of football. Join us tomorrow for more NFL playoff action. Turn it off. And I left. Executive decision, man. And went home because I'm like, I'm not getting buried at the radio station. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the end of that season. So all year, I think everybody was waiting for old Brett Favre to return. And then he returns in the worst possible time in overtime of that game. There was only a handful of Packer games that I still can't watch. Uh-huh. I can't watch 4th and 26. I can't watch the 2014 championship game. And I can't watch 07. It just depresses me. And for it to end that way... I mean, even had they lost, uh-huh. for Favre not to be the GOAT again, it just hurt so much. And even when he retired, uh, that play, as much as I love Brett Favre, when he started playing hot, hardball with the team, uh-huh. I was Team Rogers all the way. Because I'm like, dude, I can't let you do that to me again. Right. You got to go. Yeah, can't, can't break my heart one more time. <laughs> all right. Biggest disappointment season that you remember? Oh, you know... Um... So I think it was very early on for me, and I'm going to say uh, 1972. Okay. And 1972, like I, I grow up, yeah. Because 1972, I'm 10 years old. Okay. And I've heard nothing. I'm a huge Packer yeah. fan. Like for Christmas, I get the Packer uniform and the Nitschke jersey and the whole thing. And um, and uh, in '71, Star plays I think his last games, and mm-hmm. he's not he's not good. He's yeah. he's just tired arm. I think he's thirty six or so. He's thirty seven years old. Yeah, seventy two. I think uh, is the year of MacArthur Lane and John Brockington. Yes, and um, 
man, we just ran over everybody. Yeah. Like we had, it was like, it wasn't Packer sweep quite, but it was like, uh, it wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Hunter's the quarterback. If I don't, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yep, you're right. And, um, we looked dominant. And, I, and what I mean is, it, it, at that time, remember, before free agency, you know, people laughed about coming to Green Bay. So that, that's when they started laughing about it. You know, if you don't play better, I'm going to send you off to Siberia. And by Siberia, they meant Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And so we had this one-two tandem, um, and they were both bulldozers. Neither one of them was going to break. Uh, uh, and I think we got MacArthur Lane from St. Louis, and he yeah, had you're right. a really good uh, career before there. And you, you saw pulling guards. Um, Gail Gillingham. Gail Gillingham, yeah. number 68. Very good. Uh, out in front of him. And it was like it was like I was reliving uh, the, the Packer glory that I didn't see. And then um, and I think they beat uh, they beat St. Louis. Uh, no, that's in 82. They they played Washington straight up because it was oh, the 14 playoff back in 72. There you go. So so they, you're exactly right. So they play Washington. Washington plays eight in the box from the first game. And says Scott Hunter beat me, and we're like so excited, and we're and like they run the first five or six plays, and I think they got one yard in the first five or six plays, and you went, uh, you know, hope it was fun while it lasted. Uh, we were so excited about us just steamrolling everybody, um, and then and it just ended incredibly bluntly, and it was really clear that we weren't at the level we hoped we were against the best yeah. teams in the league, and then it kind of falls apart after yeah, that, right? So my, my most disappointing season, gosh, that that's a hard one because, um, I mean, you have like 2005, but that Sherman team felt like it was it was a miracle that they had made the playoffs the year before. <laughs> right. You're like, well, this is coming. You just hope it's not this year. And so the the one for me, um, even though they were good, so 2009 was the year that it was clear that Aaron Rodgers was really good. And they are going to win a title potentially or in the mix to win a title with this guy. Mm-hmm. But Brett Favre's a Viking. And it was just the most miserable experience ever. And it ended gloriously because he gave the 16-year Brett Favre experience to the Vikings in one year, <laughs> right. which was the best. But every time the Packers would win, Aaron Rodgers would throw for three touchdowns and have like a perfect quarterback rating. And then you'd see the highlight that Brett Favre threw a last-second touchdown for the Vikings. And then he beat the Packers twice. And it just was a miserable experience. I just don't enjoy that season at all. Um so that would be my most disappointing. Here's one I want to ask you about, and you might not even remember it, but it's one that fascinates me when I'm looking through okay. these old uh, games because nobody ever talks about this. 72 gets talked about, like 83 when they had the ridiculous offense and lost on the last day of the season. Uh-huh. That gets talked about. 89 is talked about constantly. I want to know about 78, James Lofton's rookie year. David Whitehurst is the quarterback. Ezra Johnson and um, Willie Buchanan are tearing up the world. They start 7-2 and two and then finish 8-7-1 and one when all of a sudden their offense just falls apart overnight. So there's another play. I'm thinking of – so as they, they, they had two bookend defensive ends. It was Ezra Johnson and oh, starts with a B, I think. I, I want to say Butler. Mike or, Butler. Mike Butler. Yeah. Um, and then Turdell Middleton was the running back. Right, exactly. So so um, as I remember that year, so I'm, I'm a junior in high school at that time. Ooh, I just I think I just told everybody how old I am. I think you <laughs> did in your first appearance, so that's okay. okay all right. Uh, He's I'm proud of it, man. I've got to tell you, life is pretty good at this point. Um <laughs> And so uh, uh, the the neat thing about it was, you know, like like in '72, when it was all based on the running game, your defense was really good, and uh, and Lofton was a. Listen, you never equated Green Bay with having a gazelle, uh, other than 
Don Hudson. Well, <laughs> right. That had been a while by yeah, the right, 70s. Exactly. But, but this whole idea, you know, we got used to smash mouth football and the Packer sweep and Jim Taylor and Paul Horning and – and MacArthur Lane and John Brockington, and all of a sudden you see these these really beautiful passes downfield, and there's a Packer behind, actually behind other players <laughs> on the other team, and you're like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Because it was so uh, it was so not normal for the Packers to throw deep. It was so not normal for them to have a dominant defense. And I'll tell you, Ezra Johnson was a man. Yeah. I mean, Butler was really good, but Ezra Johnson was a uh, he, he was kind of like the Calais Campbell of his day. Yeah. Um, and the unofficial, by the way, sack leader. I know Clay broke the official record, uh-huh. but if you tally up, uh, there's a guy, I wish I could remember his name, that has done extensive research to tally up sacks pre-1982. Okay. In almost all likelihood that Ezra Johnson is about 11 ahead of Clay Matthews. He, he is. I mean, I'm just telling you, he is. Uh, he's just different than anybody else. He's yeah. different. Tall, thin. He's kind of like the um, uh, Calais Campbell's probably yeah. the, the closest thing I can come to. Um, so what happened with that team? Because I don't know if you remember this that well, but um, I have this game in my collection, so that's that's why I've seen okay, it recently. Right. But they start seven and two. They host Dallas. They get Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire to County Stadium to host Dallas. Okay, and they get destroyed. They they lose forty two to fourteen. It was supposed to be their coming out party, and then. Overnight, this offense with Middleton and with uh, uh, Lofton and even with uh, David Whitehurst looking like Whitehurst doesn't look great, but he looks like he can do it with these weapons. Overnight, can't score, and they I, win once the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and it's you know it's a few years ago, but, <laughs> yeah. but I remember correctly, I remember the, the defenses uh, and even Madden talking about the fact, you know, if you take away Lofton and you take away Middleton and you make Whitehurst beat you, he's not going to beat you. And so I think I think that's what Dallas figured out first. Um, I think they went uh, they, they went too deep, and then they rotated a safety to Lofton's side every single time. Um, and the fact that I can't even remember who the other ce- receivers were in 78 tells you everything you need to know about. Uh, I don't even know. Right. So, so, and, and you are kind of the guru, so that's saying something. Uh, I didn't mean to sound, make that sound so t- cocky. Turdell <laughs> Middleton was – he was a, he was a good Packer running back, but yeah. but he was not he was not Walter Payton, and he was certainly no. not Jim Brown. Um, and I uh, if, and I also remember, if I'm not mistaken, there's a there's an, a, a pretty significant offensive line injury somewhere in okay. there that that uh, our offensive line starts to become kind of a sieve, and and we start uh, trying to run ball, can't run the ball. Whitehurst starts getting sacked because mm-hmm. Lofton is number two, so all of his kind of go to plays people just play against him. Uh, the defense continues to be yeah they were they were fine uh, continues to be pretty good but but I think uh, you know just like you know how uh, Belichick will take away your best player and mm-hmm. say beat me without you know beat me without your best player that's what I think my best recollection yeah. is that's what they figured out is take away Lofton let other people beat you and we just we just couldn't but that but the sieve of an offensive line boy I wish I could remember who got hurt uh, but it was very yeah. real okay yeah that's man that. It's I don't know why, but I have been so fortunate to experience so much winning and so many exciting seasons. But to me, I I'm just kind of um, I'm not obsessed, but I'm I'm drawn towards those 
oasises in that desert of losing and just wondering what it was like because they don't know that David Whitehurst isn't going to be the right, answer. Right, and, exactly. And they don't know that Brockington's not going to be the answer. And and on the flip side, it's like, hey, we got Mikowski, or wow, Lynn Dickey sure is good. You know, they don't know that it's not going to work out. And so for me, it's always interesting to hear if people actually took it seriously when they had those brief moments of success, if they believed we were turning the corner or if they thought, well, this will probably just be like the well, last one. Well, but remember, back in that day, turning the corner meant you became an average team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not talking about turning the corner and, and competing for a championship. We're just trying not to be the whipping boy <laughs> of everyone else in the NFL. And, and you know, like in 1980, getting beat by Chicago 61-7 to 7 or something yeah. like that. So did people think that with Favre? Like, we, we talked about Favre earlier. At how long – so Favre was pretty established by the time I remember watching the games. So – by the end of 92, when he beats Reggie White with a separated shoulder, are we pretty sure he's the guy, or are you still kind of like, well... No, it's Reggie coming here. Okay. And everyone talks about Favre. It's Reggie coming here. Okay. Uh, because Reggie elevated the rest of the team. Um, he challenged people, and he, and he, you know, can, can you imagine how much better your offensive line gets if you have to go in practice against Reggie Wright every <laughs> yeah. single day? Yeah. And so, and, and so he was teaching people. So I think the Packers were, were the second-rate, team and so you have to have somebody who's really outstanding come and teach you what the really good teams do yeah and so it was it was not only his belief uh you know Favre was a was a revelation but uh the fact that he chose us no he chose us because we paid him the most money I, uh, <laughs> but I think he's a that gets good swept guy. under the rug when they talk about the whimsy <laughs> Packer 90s ascension that oh by the way we gave him an offer that was like three million dollars more than <laughs> right um but I, listen, I think Reggie White is almost single-handedly responsible for the resurgence of the Packers. Everybody talks to Favre because he's the one who throws the touchdowns. But uh, I think he came in and he changed the demeanor of the entire team. Yeah. Uh, I think they got rid of some players that, uh, you know, Reggie said, this player would have never played for us on the Eagles. <laughs> and, um, and if they couldn't hold up against Reggie in practice, then – you know, we got to do something and get somebody different. So, uh, in, in my mind, it wasn't so much a Favre thing as it was um, we're legit. And the first time you saw him use the hump move and throw a 300 pound yeah, lineman yeah. out of the way, you know, you're like, I've never seen anybody <laughs> in green and gold do that. Like, that that looks like a change right there. And he advocated for people to come here too. I mean, well, that's the other thing. Is there a lot of players, you know, Keith Jackson came out of retirement because yeah, Reggie yeah. White asked him to. Yeah. Sean Jones came over because Reggie asked him Eugene to. Eugene Robinson. Eugene Robinson did. So, you know, that team with Favre and Reggie White is good, but it's not a championship team if you don't have those other players. No, I got and and we got to we got to wrap up. <laughs> I I could talk about this stuff forever, but if we're going to have a bad season, I would love for people to to ask about some of these stuff and try to get off the well-worn path a little bit because I think that's some of the fun stuff to talk about. And before we wrap up, I'll close with this because you talking about Reggie and how different it is. Uh One of my favorite games, there are so many games in that 92-93 era that for some reason are just forgotten um, at at a mainstream level. And one of my favorites is uh, Sunday Night Football back on TNT, if you remember those days. The Packers are 1-3 to start 1993 after they got Reggie White. And there's starting to be some rumblings that Reggie's not the same player. They're playing Denver okay. with John Elway. Um, you know, not what they were with Dan Reeves, but still, you know, got some weapons. The Packers go up 30-7. to And then John Elway becomes John Elway and is unstoppable in the fourth quarter. Gets the game to 30-27. to 
the Packers, I think, either get a turnover or go three and out. Favre's not playing well anymore. They have to give it back to the Broncos. And so what happens is they're still, you know, this is in everybody's mind. Reggie can't do it anymore. So on third down, Reggie White throws, it seems like, I'm sure it's not true, but it seems in my memory, he's throwing half the line away, sacks John Elway. (laughs) The crowd is going insane. So then it's like fourth and 18. This is the Broncos' last chance. They got no timeouts. Captain Comeback's trying to come back. Reggie runs him down again and sacks him <laughs> twice. The crowd goes insane. It's the loudest. It's is as loud or louder louder than Favre to Kittrick Taylor against the Bengals. Wow. He throws his helmet off. He's running around. Favre's dog piling on him. The crowd with this in unison loud Reggie chant. <laughs> And it's just like the moment he arrived, like that's what I coming came to, here for. That's, that's us coming to age, uh, coming of age. Uh, I, I tell you, go, you, you, you this, this place was a wasteland until Reggie got here. We had glimpses and little sparks. Um, he changed the fortunes of this franchise. Absolutely. Okay, so I, I got to stop myself because this will be a 16-hour <laughs> podcast if we start talking about old but stuff. I lo- listen, I love talking about the old, the, the old times that most people don't understand, so please keep coming with those questions. I really love it. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and thank you to everyone who commented and uh, provided some uh, different things for us to talk about. So um, if you want to... Uh, come up with some topics for us to talk about in future episodes, you can do so. And, and by the way, we do have a backlog, so I haven't forgotten about John Bellish or, or David Fiorillo or any of those people. Um, we're going to get to those in the coming weeks. But if you want to contribute more topics, you can do so on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, at Green Gold Forever. Chris, that's the number four. So if the Packers lose the rest of their games, they may have the number four draft pick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> spring. Exactly. <laughs> Although, I think the last time they had the number four draft pick, they uh, they got T-Buck. Oh. So hopefully they can do better than that. <laughs> um, also, uh, you can uh, follow the entire history of the podcast and read some articles as well that uh, we've written over over the years, greengoldforever.podbean.com. Um, also, follow the the show uh, on your mobile device. You can subscribe on iTunes by searching Green and Gold Forever. You can also search Eric Drews on iTunes, and that will show up. Please subscribe on there and rate and review us if you are so inclined. Also, the Podbean app with our complete archives all the way back to 2012. Um, so some of those games you might really want to revisit now that some of the ones we're talking about in 2017 are not too interesting. Right. Uh, so uh, go back and uh, subscribe on the Podbean app to Green and Gold Forever. So we almost forgot completely to talk about that the Packers of 2017 still are playing. Uh, they're playing the Chicago Bears. They just got the lead in that series after a 80-year fight. Um, they're potentially going to give it back, but uh, the the Bears are playing a little bit better now. Sure. Um, they're starting Mitchell Trubisky, who's had some of the same growing pains that Brett Hundley has. How do you see this one going? Well, I, you know, my my fear here. I think I think they'll lose because um, they'll. Uh, the, the trouble is, you play against a bad team, and then the defense. You know, you don't have to change too much because it's yeah. a bad team, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're in pretty good shape. But but there's always, you know, scheme will beat players uh, all the time. And um, I'm just really feeling like if they don't change something on defense, yeah. listen, you and I could play quarterback, and if they show us exactly what they're going to do. Uh, my big question is how bad does Brett Hundley have to go before Ooh. we go to? Joe Callahan. Joe Callahan. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't uh, – and it's in Chicago, is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a I think that's a tough win, Un- unless you just put it on Aaron Jones' back and just go right. I, why we haven't done that, I don't really know. But um, you know, I, yeah. I, so I see, I see, uh, you know, seventeen ten Chicago. Yeah, I'm 
lockstep with you. I they got to do it before I'm going to believe they can. Yeah, I think I at agreed. this point. All right, so hopefully we get some good news and uh, they are able to win in Chicago. But until then, I guess buckle up. We're all in this ride together, and uh, whether it takes us off a cliff or up another hill, um, at least we'll be together. Keep so. the faith. <laughs> Keep the faith. All right. Thanks everybody for listening, and have a great week. Take care, everyone.